Good morning to each one of you. I greet you all in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust you're finding the service a blessing here again this morning. I would have to say it's good to have been here. Appreciated the worship, appreciated the singing, appreciated the blessing and privilege and opportunity to be in all of your presence again here this morning. Why don't we, uh, at this time, just bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your love to us. Thank you, Father, for this little uh, fellowship here, band of believers, that we can get together here this morning and worship you, give you your rightful place in our hearts, find our hearts encouraged and strengthened, Father, to live our days devoted to the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that each one of us could find ourselves in that vine, uh, experiencing the grace of God uh, these days here on earth, last days, we believe, here on earth for the church. And Father, I pray that you would just meet each of our needs here this morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that our hearts could be strengthened and encouraged. And I pray, Father, you would take each one of us in this fellowship, Farther along our journey, growing into your likeness. Father, do a work in our hearts here, we pray. Father, I pray that the feeble words, the attempts that I make to share this morning, that you would anoint it to each heart. You would bless it, Father. You would speak to each heart. You know each need. You know my need. And Father, I just want to be a servant this morning and share the things that I feel you've laid on my heart. So Father, we commit our lives to you and commit this time to you and this fellowship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this morning I'm going to talk about you. I hope you're all okay with that. Um, You don't necessarily need to get out your little uh, confession of faith if you don't like. I'm going to follow just a little bit or start off there, but not that I'm necessarily going to be following it. I asked John and Earl if I could have the liberty to jump ahead a few uh, cogs from where we were. Because it was something I felt that God was kind of impressing in my own heart. You know how it goes sometimes when you're thinking about needing to share and what God would have for you. And I just, my thoughts and my mind was going towards the church. And that is you, right? The church is you. That's who we are. And uh, I chosen the title, Don't Just Go to Church, Be a Church. And I think as we go along, you'll possibly understand why I would come up with a title like that. Don't just go to church, rather... Be a church. So we're going to talk about you. We're the called out ones. As I'm sure many of you, most of you heard already in the Greek, we're the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. And in our generation, in our day amongst Christendom, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But this morning, you are the called out ones. You and I are the called out ones. What does that mean to us today in the 20th century? You know, I believe today the church is the apple of God's eye. I believe He is looking because we're the called out ones. We're the ones that ought to be influencing our generation and our society. The called out church of Jesus Christ. Uh, As far as in the blue book where it talks about the church, uh, article number 7, maybe just, uh, just a few comments there. We believe and confess that the church is the body of Christ, both Locally and worldwide. And then there's two different uh, references. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12:27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and members, and members in particular. And we all know that passage well. And 
you know, we are the body of Christ and Christ is the head and we are the body. I'm sure we've heard much uh, preaching and teaching on that passage of Scripture already. Talking about us being the body. Uh, as it's stated here in our confession of faith, it talks about both locally and worldwide. You know, there's to a degree that I believe we can and we learn how to identify at least to a degree with Christendom worldwide. The worldwide body of Christ. I believe most of us, uh, depending how we filter our way through things, uh, we get the, uh, for example, voice of the martyrs in the mail and we look at that. We look at the amazing stories and we see here is part of the worldwide church. They're suffering persecution. We can look at that. We can read that. And we get challenged in many ways at the commitment, the devotion, the dedication what's going on in our world in Christendom. And that's, as I would view, part of the worldwide church that we look at and we're amazed. But yet I think, probably, with each one of us, we consider that and we look at the reality of that all and realize if we tried to build local church life with that body of believers, it probably wouldn't work very well. So this morning, as we think about the church, we think about the called out ones, we think about us being part of the church and, and we consider, as it's stated here in our Confession of Faith, we think of the worldwide church and we also think of the local body. And this morning, most of my thoughts as far as what I'm going to be sharing has more to do with the local church where we're at. Because in all reality, that is us, right? We are the local church. We're the church that we are doing church together. What does that mean to us? What does that mean to us? And I hope this morning we can find our hearts encouraged a bit more and more, more along what God has for us. Ephesians uh, 1, 22 and 23 is the other two references there in the Confession of Faith. And it reads as this, And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So there again it states and refers to the church. Now, I am not going to basically, the, the portion of Scripture, we're not there yet, is going to be in Hebrews 10 where we're going to at least spring off of with most of our thoughts this morning there where it talks about the uh, church. But I'd like to just refer a little bit, even though we're not necessarily going to go there and you don't necessarily even need to turn there. But, you know, <clears throat> if there is some confusion in some people's minds, I doubt if there's very much of it here, but I know in some people's minds they battle a little bit with the idea of membership, local commitment, and those kind of things as we think of church. You know, isn't it? Aren't we just one big body of Christ and be able to identify Sometimes we can have a little bit of a struggle finding our way through all that. But just to clarify a little bit of that, I had to, thinking about that whole comment, thinking about Revelation where God, Jesus Christ through the Apostle John had a specific message for each individual church. He didn't just address the large body of Christ, but each individual church, he had a message for it. And some he had a pretty strong, most of them a rebuke for. For example, the church of Ephesus, they lost their first love. The church of Smyrna, they were going through tribulation, poverty, persecution. But he said, you're rich. You're rich. That was the church of Smyrna. Pergamos had some things right, but they had some mixed up doctrines. Tharatar, and I know I'm just brushing over it, were doing okay, but they uh, didn't deal with wicked Jezebel. She was circulating in the congregation and influenced them, and he gave them a rebuke there. Sardis, they had a testimony that they were alive. I think they had a lot of things right, but they were a dying church. They were dead. That was the challenge he had for them. Philadelphia was a loyal church, but they had some false profession. And then, of course, we have the Laodicean church, which we think of many times. They were the lukewarm church. They were the, we could also call the poor rich church. And, uh, you know, I'd just like to uh, consider this morning, 
to raise the question, if Jesus Christ had a message for us today, what would he say, and unto the church at Oasis? Just some good thought-provoking questions. And I don't have in mind this morning trying to convey to you, in case you're wondering what his message would be to the church of Oasis. I don't know, but I do believe that we can look at scriptures and this morning hopefully be encouraged. What is God saying to us today in behalf of the local church? What is the local church to be? I remember some time ago, you can turn to the book of Hebrews a while if you want, Hebrews chapter 10. I remember some time ago, Earl, I don't remember what Earl talked about, but I remember, if I remember correctly, his title was, Why Do You Go to Church? Is that what your title was? Go to Church. Go to church. Your, your title was Go to Church. Why do you go to church is one question that I had. I was thinking that's what your title was. Just a stimulator thinking, why do you go to church? Why are you here? Is it a secure environment, free from the world? Uh, it's a secure place to be. It's a secure place to raise my family. Therefore, I'm here this morning. Uh, is that why we're here this morning? Uh, do we come here because possibly it's a safe place where I can receive encouragement? And I trust that happens. That's another reason maybe why you're here this morning. Maybe to some, church is something I endure. Sadly to say, I remember those days. Uh, and, and if you're a person that's here and it's just something you endorse, that you can go home and go on your way, I hope and trust that one day God will meet you and will totally change that around. The church doesn't need to be something that you endure. That's how it was to me before I was converted very much that way. Maybe church is a place where we can come and see what we can get away with and still get by. You know, just kind of be out there on the fringy edges somewhere. Maybe that's what church life could be to some. Maybe it's a thing, and I remember in my day where preachers were fearful. You just kind of feared the uh, leadership of the church. Uh, that was my experience in my early days. A place where we can come to have our conscience appeased. It can just be a social event. Just some thoughts of what some people could have for church expectations. And I, some of them are okay expectations. Some of them are not so okay but I trust this morning that we can lift our sights and our standards a little bit more to what church life is. Therefore, the title, Don't Just Go to Church. Be the church. Okay, where I'd like to springboard off of largely this morning is in Hebrews 10. Some of you are probably there already. If you're not, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And largely that is where I will park. We will springboard into some other places possibly, but we want to be here in... Hebrews 10, and I'm going to begin just about four verses here. Hebrews 10, uh, 22, states it this way. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner as some is, but exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I'm going to leave off reading right there. The uh, first thought that I'd like to draw out of this verse that I'd just like for us to give some consideration to here this morning, and that is the phrase where it talks about as ye see the day approaching. You know, I think it's important for us to consider sometimes that there is a day approaching. Is it not? There is a day approaching. And what is that day that is approaching? You know, I don't know what all you think of when you think of 
the day approaching, uh, our minds probably go to different things. Maybe we think of testing. Maybe we think of persecution, which persecution, testings all go together. Maybe we, maybe we think of the church going through uh, trial. Maybe we think of tribulation. Uh, maybe we think of a time of extreme difficulty. And I realize all those things I referred to are uh, somewhat related. Uh, the day approaching. Uh, what is he referring to here with the day approaching? What was the song we sang this morning? Lord, how long? You know, uh, maybe to some of you, you just think of a, of a, of a uh, what, what am I looking for? Just, a, just a, a quick rapture and we're all gone and we're all out of here. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, maybe to some of us, that's the approaching day we think of. I don't know what all we think of when we think of the coming day, the day approaching. But this morning, my mind goes to just us being sobered a bit when we think of the approaching day. You know, I don't know at all what God has for His people in the coming days, but I, I would expect that we are going to have some testing and some challenges uh, I don't know, I appreciate the various teaching we have about end time events and all of that, and I'm not planning on going there. I believe, I believe that we are possibly on the brink of some interesting times in church life. I wouldn't doubt it for a minute that we are. I believe the church is already under a certain amount of testing and those kind of things. But nonetheless, as we consider the context of this scripture, it is talking here about an approaching day. It's talking about an approaching day. That's coming. And maybe I'll just turn to another reference that would refer a little bit to that in James. You can turn there if you want. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and I think it's verse 8, the one that I want. Just just to think a little bit about the, the, uh, the coming day. Yeah, verse 8 of chapter 5 says, But ye, brethren, but ye also, but ye also patient, establish your hearts... For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Therefore, there again, speaking somewhat of the coming day. Maybe I'll just read the, the preceding scriptures up to that verse. Uh, chapter 5 there of James says, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for the miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eating, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you in that day, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have reaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, which crieth, and the cries of them have of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And then he says, But ye have lived in pleasure on the earth, and have been wanton, and have nourished your hearts. As in the day of slaughter, you have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. And then he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. And then he says, But be ye patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So it's talking about, and I believe there is a sense in, I believe, where I'm really going with all this as we consider, consider this passage of Scripture, I think as we look ahead and we look at some of the possible challenges that God will have for the church of Jesus Christ in even our generation, it's very important, I believe, and I believe if we look at the Scripture in the context of what we're looking at here for a binding together of the people of God. You know, while, while we are in the, the, the day that we live in, that we can have a uniting together in our hearts and a binding together and have a strong local 
nucleus, local body of believers that's, that's knit, heart knit together, I believe, is God's remedy for the church to be faithful in the last days. Right there you have the heart, the, the gist of the, the heart of where I'm going with all this. Now, before we go to the next thought, we're just going to go to Second Peter. Back a few pages in your Bible to Second Peter 3. And I'm just going to look at a few verses. Uh, okay, and here we are. We're still talking here about the day of the Lord, okay? And verse 10 of Peter 3 talks about the same thing. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And then it tells us what persons we ought to be. You know, as we consider all those things, and we consider the reality of where we find ourselves in our generation, he tells us what persons we ought to be. He says, seeing that these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation? Looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens shall be on fire and shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And then uh, we see here about the promise that we're looking for in verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, we think of God's people banding together in the days that we live in. It's important that we get together and we remind each other of the promises of God for the people of God in the day that we live in and have our hearts encouraged and edified in those things. Okay, verse 14. Uh, verse 14 here yet. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in Him in peace without spot and blameless. That's the will of God for the church in the last days. To be diligent. To not be slothful. Not to just be... Re- you know, I don't want to strike fear in anybody. I don't want to be unrealistic with these kind of things. But you know, it's high time to wake out of sleep as the Scripture says and be diligent. Be vigilant. Yes, it is. As we consider the day of the Lord. Now, back to Hebrews. And I already mentioned to it. But you know, this morning, I would like for us to have our hearts encouraged this morning that I believe this passage of Scripture that we're looking right here is, is the remedy that God has for His people as we think of where we find ourselves in the scope of time. I believe it's the uniting of hearts together. And I'm not saying these things indicating that we're not there. I'd just like for us to encourage ourselves along the way. This is God's design for us to be uh, part of a close-knit local body of believers that get together to give encouragement and to receive encouragement rather than being one, as Jude says, uh, Jude says, these by, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the Spirit. You know, in the day and generation that we live in, it's very easy to just kind of, for various reasons, to withdraw a bit. To withdraw a bit from a local body of believers for various reasons. And maybe we'll get into a little bit more of that. You know, I feel sorry for those who choose to isolate themselves from the blessing of what God has for His people when it comes to that close-knit church life. I feel sorry for that. And at this time, I would like to read an article that I discovered just yesterday. This was a, a news run. This was actually a Paul Harvey thing. I didn't even know Paul Harvey's around anymore. Maybe this is an old one. I'm not sure. 
It says, there was once a 73-year-old man who was pinned beneath his farm tractor for days. I'm sorry, he was pinned underneath his tractor for four days and nights in the driving rain and in a terrible storm. Concerned friends went to see him just in time. It seems that he's going to live after his ordeal, but he will lose the leg below his knee. Several newspapers picked up on the little story and and centered upon the amazing fact that a 73-year-old man could live after being pinned beneath the tractor for four days. Yes, all that is amazing, but more amazing is the fact of what caused his friends to go see him. One friend gave as the reason for that visit. He just missed prayer meeting on Wednesday night, that's all. He just missed one service, and his friend went to check on him. One preacher remarked, I believe there are two possible suppositions we can make about this incident. Consider the following. On the one hand, we could suppose that this man was such a faithful regular in his attendance that everyone knew that if he was not there, something had been seriously wrong. A question, what if you had been the one pinned under the tractor? Would your absence have been noticed, or are you so irregular in attendance that everyone would assume you decided to sleep in or go to the lake? How many services have you missed in the last three months? Could you honestly classify yourself as a regular, faithful, faithful regular worshiper? On the other hand, we could assume that the people in this man's congregation have such a concern for the souls of men that everyone, no matter how regular or irregular they were in attendance, missed a service they went to see about them. I think I'll leave off reading there. I thought that was uh, uh, quite an interesting little catching uh, uh, story that is enough to grip our attention a little bit. How close of a knit, how committed are we to each other? What kind of a commitment do we have in our Brotherhood, our our uh, our uh, local body of believers here in our connection, and all those kind of things. You know, in our busy running around lifestyles, commitments here, commitments there. We have family, this family, that this group of friends, and the other thing. And you know, I'm guessing I'm not different than any of you. There are many times we just kind of look at our overwhelmed schedule and say, "Now, what in the world are we going to cut out so that we can?" cope with life what are we going to cut out that we can cope with life so that you know we're just we're just going we're just going 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 what are we going to cut out and and i know it's going to be a lifelong challenge for all of us to try to figure out what to cut out of our schedules and what not to but you know is it right that it's the local church life that is going to be according to this scripture i believe a command that's going to keep our hearts on track in the last days with all the challenges that we could face with the coming of the day of the Lord. This is God's prescribed remedy. Is it right? Is it worth that that is what we begin to cut out? That local... And I'm not, I'm not trying to put anybody on necessarily on a, on a guilt trip, you know, but, but just kind of to jog our thinking a little bit with our fast-paced lifestyles. You know, whether... Faithfulness, as I'm understanding this scripture, faithfulness in the end, some of it could determine on what we do with this scripture. Where we find our hearts being nourished up in the faith, uh, giving encouragement and receiving encouragement and all those kind of things. So, leaving that, I, that thought a little bit, am I indicating to you here this morning that loyalty in attendance, church attendance, is that the answer? Is that the answer for faithfulness. You know, the church doors are open and I'm there. I'm obedient to this command. Therefore, all is well. Is that is that the answer? Is that the solution? Church doors are open and I'm there.
Jesus died for more than a place, a activity, or experience. The Christian must accept and realize his redeemed status as part of the blood-bought church. That is the heart and the gist of what I would like to convey to us this morning. You know, this morning, do we, do we recognize and realize our redeemed status? Do we realize this morning what the Lord Jesus did to purchase our redemption that we can be part of this ecclesia, the called out? You know, I, I just, I don't want to get ahead of myself here this morning, but I'm convinced if I would understand you know, this morning, I think it was Eldon that suggested how big was our sin? How big was it? We can't fathom how big our sin was. We can't fathom almost hardly the, the, the whole gospel story of what, what, what Christ did. Leaving the glories of heaven, coming down to this place called earth, and subjecting himself to the cruelty of mankind, and to shed his blood to purchase your and our redemption. So that we can be part of this called out ecclesia of Christ. And it goes far beyond just simply being a church attender. And there's a reference here. We won't bother turning to it. But he purchased us with his own blood. You know, I can't even begin to fathom the, the, what Christ did to purchase our redemption. Did anybody ever give you a gift that you know cost them a lot? I know we think of those kind of things. We think, you know, I know a young fellow, I don't believe he's here this morning, but I did a few things for him one time, just being a friend. And he comes along and hands to me this this beautiful made grandfather's clock that he, he made out of wood and he and all that he did. And he presented to me a gift for something I did to it. And I look at that and I say, wow, it's amazing. You know, and, and I, I was kind of taken back by this tremendous gift, the sacrifice that he made. But, you know, we can think of those kind of things and then we feel somewhat indebted what that person actually did to me and it has a means of kind of knitting our hearts together. But, you know, none of those things come close to the comparison of what Christ did for you and I to be part of this called out ecclesia. You know, we're the bride of Christ. You know, we can go a long ways meditating on that. The bride of Christ. You know, when you, you know, we don't love him. We love him because he first loved us. And you know, we think of this whole idea, Joshua here's smiling, he's glancing at his wife, I see him. We think of this whole idea of, 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 of the, the, the groom choosing his bride. He chose me. The bride says he chose me. And we look at the beauty that all goes along with that. That's what Christ did for you and I. We are the bride of Christ. Such a beautiful picture that I trust will just... And we can all come and take of that water of life freely. Oh, to transform our church life and experience. You know, I'm not just trying to give some sort of an emotional high pump up here this morning, but I think we ought to be a little bit more something as we think of what Christ did to purchase our redemption. And here we are this morning. We are the caught out ecclesia. You know, Ephesians uh, 5, I don't know if I'll turn there for the sake of time, but, you know, it, it talks about the bride of Christ, that he might present it, this glorious church, this church that glows, a glorious church. He purchased us for that purpose. And, you know, this morning, 
you know, I think some of us, many of us probably just need a reminder of what Christ done to somehow boost us in our, our, our recognition of what Christ did to purchase our redemption. We just need a reminder of that. Maybe some of us need a genuine encounter with God where the blood can be applied. Realize what Christ did. You know, this morning, if our church experiences tending toward being a bit dead or dry or worldly, we need a boost in our worship. We need a rekindling of the fire of God in our lives, possibly. And let us this morning just consider the purchase, what He paid for our redemption. Now, I do have in mind as we get towards the end here to go into some practical areas of church life, but I just feel that it's healthy for us as a foundation to realize what Christ did for you and I. What Christ did so that we can be part of this local body working together. I'd like to talk now about the importance of togetherness. You know, the words there in this passage that I read, eight times at least we have us or our or together or one anothering. And you know, in all reality, that's what church life is all about. It's not about just us. My wife knew a little bit what I was going to be sharing here this morning, and she just made a comment on the way to church. You know, as we think about vibrance, we think about health, we think about life in the church, and she just commented to me, you know, she said, in all reality, there's so many similarities between our family life at home and our church life here. And you know, if, if we have families at home that are struggling, then we're going to have local church life that's struggling, are we not? You know how important it is to have, to have, uh, have spiritual families, families that are, 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 are serving the Lord and then have a church that's touched with the life of God. It's all about the togetherness. Uh, I think it's worthy of just referring to the last two verses of chapter 10. And I don't know what kind of the connection it is, you know, with, with the same thought that's flowing through there about local church life and the whole idea of uh, encouraging each other in the Lord and those kind of things. But, you know, it winds down in the last two verses there and says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back into perdition, but to them that believe to the saving of the soul. You know, it is so easy just because of difficulties or whatever we're going through to draw back from the people of God. To draw back from the people of God and lose that. That's not the heart of God. You know, a stalking lion, it is said, that is looking for his lunch and he is going after a herd of gazelles. He does not go in and attack the heart of that herd who will attack one of the stranglers that strayed away a little bit from the herd? That is one that the stalking lion will go after. He'll go after that straying gazelle. Am I saying it right? Gazelle? Gazelle? It's like a deer. African? Gazelle. Okay. He'll, that, that's the one he'll go after. He'll go after the straying one. You know, there's a verse that talks about Satan as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom may devour. I thought, wow, what similarities is there to that? You know? And when we consider this drawing back thing and we consider the reference that I referred there in Jude, I can't think of what it was right now, but we think of the one and we think of the whole uh, subject that we're looking at right here with Hebrews about uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but getting together to encourage one another. 
I think we would have to agree that it is the strange straggler that I believe the enemy of our souls will go after. Rather than the blessing that we have this morning of being part of a close-knit fellowship. That's my heart for us this morning. You know, I'd like to just suggest to us this morning that if we consider somebody that draws back from fellowship in their heart, draws back from brotherhood commitment, draws away from the people of God, I believe he's very vulnerable to spiritual wreckage. I think we would say that. And I think many of us here could look at incident after incident, maybe even have that experience uh, yourself. I don't know where you find yourself. But it's never healthy to draw back. You know, in Second uh, Timothy 4.10, it talks about Demas. Paul says, For Demas hath left me, having loved this present world. Now, I don't know what it was like for Demas back there, but as we understand several other references where it refers to Demas in the Bible, I believe Demas was at one time a strong brother in the Lord based on his response. But at one point, he forsook Paul, as Scripture says, having loved the world. I don't know what Demas' experience was back there, but I know what the Demas experience, the Demas experience is today in the hearts and souls of men. You see it over and over again where you have a Demas. He doesn't just one day, generally, very rarely, he just one day decides, that's it, I'm going, I'm going to go after the world. But it's a slow, slow process like that gazelle that finds himself straying away from the herd. My encouragement to us this morning, whether you're a young people, whatever age group you find yourself in, it's not worth it. It's not worth straying away from the people of God. I believe we will get out of our experience with the Lord in our local church life what we're willing to invest into it. Assembly with the saints of God is something to value. And more and more as we see the day approaching. I believe assembly with the saints of God, I believe that close-knit fellowship is something to be valued. And you know, this morning I'm not trying to, even though I'm talking about regularness, regular, regular, I'm going to say a word that I shouldn't say, but anyhow, being a regular church attender is the way I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put anybody, especially visitors on a guilt trip, trying to find your way. Do I fit into this congregation? Don't I fit into this congregation? I think every visitor needs to go through that process. But what I am talking about is the soul that decides This is my local fellowship. This is where God calls me to. This is my people. Then I say, make them your people. Uh, That that church commitment, that brotherhood commitment. I believe believe the testimony can be lost by neglect. That's another point that I have here. Withdrawal is dangerous. Uh, uh, Verse 23. Verse 23. Verse 23 of, uh, I'm sure I lost something here. Hebrews. Hebrews uh, 10 and verse 23. Uh, it says, Let us hold fast our prof- the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Withdrawal can be dangerous. <clears throat> Remember the Demas of our day. Okay. Uh, another thing that we can get from this scripture here, it is a place for the pure in heart. Verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart, full of the assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
The church of God, I believe, is a place for the pure in heart. It says for the true in heart here, I believe it talks about. The true in heart is the place uh, for the true in heart, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I was thinking a bit about the whole idea of the true in heart. You know, I believe it's in that close-knit fellowship with the people of God where God really can work in our hearts. And when we think about the true in hearts, uh, the, the church of God is the place for the true in heart. Maybe I'm going to leave that thought off. I see the clock is really going over there. Okay. God's faithfulness. He is faithful that promise. You know, I believe the church of God, the getting together of God's people is a place for us to encourage each other and remind each other in the promises of God. I believe it's a place where we ought to be getting together and sharing the promises of God and encouraging each other in that way. Considering God's faithfulness, a place where we grow together and encourage each other. Uh, God, One of God's names is faithful. He's faithful and true. Consider and encourage each other in the faithfulness of God. I would like now to consider verse 24 and 25. But verse 24, I'd like to, to park there a little bit and just think about this word provoke. Um, verse 24 says, let us consider one another and provoke one another to love and good works. Have you ever been provoked? Do you ever provoke? The church is a place where we get together and we provoke one another. Okay, there's, there's two different phrases that we want to look at here. It talks about provoking one another. And then it talks in verse uh, 25, not forsaking the assembly together. Okay, it talks about exhorting one another. But I'd like to park a little bit on this whole idea of provoked. You know, in all reality, we are all provokers. And we are all provoked. That word provoke there is actually used and can be used in a negative way and in a positive way. Uh, the one way, in a good way, it uses the word to describe it as incite. In other words, you, you uh, are observing something and you look at it and you say, Hey, that's good. I'm going to go for it. You're provoked. Uh, I often, in my past, would have took the word, as you think about provoked, in more of a negative sense. But I'd like for us this morning to consider that we all are, at times we provoke or we uh, are provoked. That's the kind of people we are. And the, the Word of God tells us here that we get together to provoke one another to love and good works. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, now how can I somehow put it in our hearts, something that we'll remember as it relates to the whole idea of provoking. And I had to think about this, and I'm not sure who I want to pick on here, but let's just suppose that one of you, one of you, uh, Dave and Jean Brenneman, they, they are at Walmart one day. Uh, they have some shopping to do. I, I could have gave the example here, or wherever, but they're they're at Walmart and uh, and uh, they're getting out of their vehicle to head in through. They have to get a few things, and all of a sudden they hear this rumbling down the road, uh, coming in the parking lot here at Walmart. And he turns around to see what the noise is about, and here's, here comes this big, uh, bright collared, set up high pickup comes pulling in, got the shiny wheels on, uh, got the uh, Big, uh, Cummins diesels roaring and down there in the front corner there's a, a 500 horsepower emblem on this thing 
uh, comes rumbling past him, and he just kind of gets his attention a bit, and he looks, and uh, he's, oh, he's looking through tended windows. He's trying to figure out who's in there, and as this thing's rumbling past him, he's like, boy, through that through that uh, tent there, it looks like the guy's wife might be wearing a veil. I'm not sure. Uh, the thing comes rumbling past, and as it goes past, he sees mud flaps in the back keep on trucking. Um, what else do some of these pickups have? Oh, a sticker on the back window that says real real uh, pickups don't have spark plugs. Is that one that you see on them? Real trucks don't have spark plugs. Oh, this thing, chrome straight pipes, he flutters the gas. I'm really glorifying the story. And some smoke flies out. He looks at that thing, parks a couple cars down. He just kind of got his eye on that thing a little bit. And he wonders and he opens the door and Brian Nolte steps out of that thing. And uh, he goes around the back and... and uh, Opens a tailgate, gets a step stool over there so my wife can crawl out of this thing, sets it down. And, uh, Dave, are you provoked? Um, are you provoked? I, would you be provoked? Everybody's timid and afraid. I would hope you're provoked. I would hope you're provoked. I would hope you would say, what's going on? I would hope you are, but you know what? Unless the life of God touches our hearts and lives, that's going to be your children and your grandchildren. And by the way, I'm going inside to um, to get a couple of snowboards and some power for because we're heading up to the mountains going snowboarding for the weekend. I, I know that's... But you know, I believe it's the heart of God that we recognize we are the called out people of God. And we're infatuated by what Christ has so done for us. And we're the church of the Latter-day Saints. Did you know that? We're not Mormons, neither. But we are the church of the Latter-day Saints. That's who we are. And we're called to be that. And we're called to encourage one another in that. And I am of the persuasion, I'm the full persuasion, that inside of each one of us there's a vacuum that would be filled with something And there's going to be a vacuum in my grandchildren and your grandchildren and your children that that vacuum would be filled with something that... Who uses the word enamors around here? That enamors us. And if we don't fill it with the right thing, our children and grandchildren are going to fill it with something. And that's probably what they're going to be filling it with. That very thing right there. We're to get together to provoke one another in love and good works. Now, I talked about the word provoked is used in different ways. That word provoke is used in different ways. You know, it has a good sense. Let's just suppose, and here again, maybe this is a little bit... Let's just suppose that I, uh, in testimony time, uh, Eldon stands up and he gives a little bit of a story how uh, this week he uh, went and did a little bit of traveling and he found himself in this convenience store. And as he was going into the convenience store, he saw this uh, lady sitting there on the... Him and his wife saw this lady sitting out there on a chair or whatever and ended up... Uh, Eldon gives a testimony how he was able to witness to this soul and, and gave this soul a track and uh, talked him a little bit about the gospel of Christ. And, and Eldon gives a story that last night about 9 o'clock, I got a phone call from this lady and she was troubled. She recognizes her sin. And, and last night, 9.30 last night, my wife and I got to go visit her in a little house and we had the opportunity to lead this soul to the Lord. What a blessing it was. Eldon stands up and shares that testimony this morning in church. Are you provoked? You ought to be provoked. I ought to be provoked. Wow! He had the opportunity to do that. I could do that too. Right? 
We're to get together to provoke one another to love and good works. I am convinced that we have something so glorious that the world is looking for and the world is waiting for. The church of Jesus Christ, the called out ones. And we're just, uh, well, you know what, sometimes we just need a good old-fashioned revival, don't we? But that's the kind of, that's the kind of encouragement and edification that the church needs to encourage one another to love and good works. You know, I'd like to look at another word in that verse right there also, and it says, let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and good works. Now, I realize that was some pretty far out examples that I gave there. You know what also blesses our souls? When a soul stands up here in the morning and says, you know what, I had some major battles I was fighting this week, and I just had some real testings. I didn't do so good in the beginning of it, but at the end of it, I got a hold of God. I wrestled my way through it. I came to peace with God. And this morning I had peace with the Lord Jesus. And we hear those kind of, what are we doing? We're provoking each other. I remember, and I tell you, we, we just really need, we really need God working in our circles. I remember when I first gave my heart to the Lord, and I know I, I share this different times, but down there in those motel rooms in Huttonsville prison, when those brothers would get together to go in and seek the Lord, I'll never forget this older brother who I looked up to as a, as a he, he was a real mentor to me. He was all of that. And I just remember him breaking his heart before the Lord over a need that he had in his life. And what a tremendous example and impact that left on me. And I don't forget it today because I knew how God dealt with me after that. But that's the kind of provoking we need. Now, I got off track a little bit. I was going to talk about the word consider one another, to provoke one another to love and good works. That word consider means to fully observe. Now, I believe, as we heard in our devotional this morning, I believe that the key behind the whole thing of vibrant church life is that we are in the vine. We are in the vine of Christ. We are directly connected with the true vine, and that is Christ, and out of that, is where we have the life of God flowing through us in our daily walk. I believe in all that. I believe that is essential. I believe that is important. I believe that's very foundational. I believe in all that, and I think that is the will of God. I believe in all that, but I also believe that the local, as we understand these scriptures right here, is very, very important in these last days that we have that close-knit togetherness where we are together, we're on this journey together, You know, when you think of the hundreds of questions, that decisions that each one of us has to make in a day or a week, whatever time frame you want to put on it, we are faced with choices and choices and choices. We go to the store, we want to buy something, we got choices to make. Uh, We get up in the morning, we, we just have choices. We have choices to make. Let's look at this verse. It says, let us consider one another. That word consider means to fully observe. You know, it's healthy for us in the Christian life as we have all these things we're bombarded with on a day-to-day basis, to consider one another. To, to, to consider the choices that I make. And where I was really going, I talked about, you know, the vine, we look to the Lord, and those kind of things. But it's also healthy for us to consider our brother and our sister. You know, we are not doing church life with a worldwide church with a wide spectrum whatever we're part of a local body who is going in a given direction together we're a, we're a we're a culture in ourselves we we have boundaries we all have bound we have boundaries in our homes we have boundaries in our church and we try not to specifically spell everything out because we'd rather not go down that road but we all have boundaries and as we make the 
daily choices and decisions that we have to make, whether we're at a store, whether we're uh, considering purchasing something big, we're deciding, our, you know, whatever that might be, we consider our brother. We consider our brother. I got this choice to make. How is this going to swipe? You know, in all reality, I also realize that we can't go with everybody's opinion. We go with everybody's opinion. We'll gridlock ourselves up. But we all know what the heart and the direction and the goal is that we go in a fellowship. And we consider one another as we have those choices to make. I think that's real good, healthy, practical church life when we do that. How is this choice going to affect my brother? I think that's healthy for us. Okay. I would like yet to talk a little bit about some of the practical aspects as we think about this. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about Christ being our head. And it talks about us being the body of Christ. And we are the body of Christ. And we all know that we live in a world where there's, you know, some people get very health conscious about this old body. And we probably ought to be a little more health conscious than what we are. But, you know, we have a body to take care of, don't we? We have a body right here to take care of. And people will go to great lengths and great extremes down the organic road and some of those kind of things to take care of the body. Well, there's some things here that I'd like to just uh, go along the line of some practical things when we think of care of our body. When we think of our care of our body right here. You know, one of the things I want to talk about in a practical sense is brotherhood commitment. Brotherhood commitment to one another. You know, I believe brotherhood commitment. One of brotherhood commitment is where we really value each other. We value each other. We consider each other. We consider the well-being of each other. Brotherhood commitment. You know, I had to think any normal functioning family that is a functioning family, we're going to have the well-being of our siblings and mine, are we not? I don't think any one of you uh, boys right here in the front row would desire to see something really bad happen to your brother, would you? No, you have his well-being in mind. You know, that's commitment, that natural that natural commitment to each other. I know sometimes brothers are rude to each other, and I realize that sometimes we even need corrected in those things, don't we? But, you know, in all reality, we love our brothers. When it's birthday time, we're happy that it's our brothers. We, we love our brother. We have our brother's well-being in mind. You know, we here are a family. We're a family. We're committed to each other. We have each other's well-being in mind. That doesn't mean we always just do the... the kind, fuzzy, warm, fun things with each other. Sometimes we we rough each other up a little bit. We challenge each other. We go down that road. We're committed to each other. We're all looking out for each other's well-being. Commitment. Uh, Intense desire to see our children successful spiritually. That should be the kind of desire that we have here when it comes to commitment. You know, we wouldn't want our brother to miss heaven for anything. I believe church, local church life, ought to be a place where souls are valued. Everyone ought to feel and be valued. I have another little thing here I'd like to just look at that I came across. And I'm going back a little bit to the whole idea of not forsaking the ascending of yourselves together and the whole thing of uh, commitment as we think of being committed to church. How much am I committed to church I found this article. Maybe I'll just draw something up here to describe it. This thing, probably don't really look like it, but it's supposed to be a barometer, okay? The article I found talks about, it talks about, uh, the, 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 the church, the Christian church, uh, 
it, it does often, not always, accurately serve as a realistic barometer of one's devotion to the Lord. Now, what it's talking here again about is, and, and, and where my mind is kind of going back to, it is how committed am I to this local body of believers? How committed am I? When, and, and you know, here again, not to put anybody on a guilt trip, but you know, I really believe in order for church life to be that committed, knit body of believers, I believe it calls for loyalty and commitment in brotherhood life. You know, I don't know how many services we have. If we add up all our services in a month's time, we have our prayer meetings, we have our brothers meetings, we have sisters meetings, we have Sunday morning worship, Wednesday night prayer meetings, we have Bible studies. Let's just suppose in a given month's time there's more than 10 services, I know, but for easy figuring, 10 services, and uh, let's just suppose that I miss, uh, out of those 10 services, I miss one of them. That means I'm... Uh, I'm up here somewhere on the barometer, somewhere around 90%. 90% I attend, right? Um, Ten services in a month, I miss one. And here again, don't, don't anybody read me wrong. Don't, don't think I'm targeting anybody. I'm not. I'm just doing, so just for some accurate thinking. Uh, in, in a given uh, amount of time, and I know there's all kinds of reasons why we miss services. There's legitimate reasons. There's unlegitimate reasons. Sometimes it's just because, well, I didn't feel like being there possibly. But anyhow, let's just suppose we missed two of them. Now we're down here at about 80%. Now, there's different scenarios given here, but I'd just like for us to jog our thinking a little bit. How committed am I to brotherhood life and local church? This is what the writer... And the writer also realized that this isn't necessarily always an accurate barometer of one's spiritual life. But the writer of this little article that I came across is actually indicating that it can be a barometer as to what my spiritual life is like, based on my devotion and my commitment to the local church. On average, let's just say that many struggle somewhere in the 80% range. Have you ever considered what would happen if you gave as much attention to other things in your life as you did to the Lord? And then you ask this, how long do you think you would keep your job if you showed up 80% of the time? What would your spouse think if you only came home 80% of the time. How long would your electricity stay on if you paid your electric bill 80% of the time? Granted, take it with a grain of salt. We're jogging our thinking here. That's all I'm really doing. How many college professors would pass you if you showed up 80% of your classes? How would you feel if your electric company only kept your electricity on 80% of the time? We think we live in Africa or Haiti probably. I'm not sure what it's like there, but anyhow. What would you think if your car only ran 80% of the time? I have a van like that. What would you think if the Lord's grace, what would you think if the Lord's grace, of the Lord's grace, if he only forgave you 80% of the time? I'll leave off there. There again, don't, don't take that as I'm targeting anybody or anything. But it is good to have our thinking jogged a little bit. How committed am I to this called out body of believers that is going to be the remedy for... I call it the remedy. That sounds a little bit strong. But if we really look at the context of this scripture, part of that close-knit fellowship where we get together to provoke one another, encourage one another in the Lord in the last days is part of... Remedy that God has for His people in these last days. You know, I had to think. 
I just just had to think as we think of this brotherhood commitment. You know, I, 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 I just as, as part of the leadership team of this church, I, I, I wonder sometimes what God has for the future of this fellowship. And I'm just going to take this time maybe to... Maybe for us to think a little bit bigger than what we sometimes think. What do we really want in this fellowship in the years to come? Do we just want to uh, fill this church up and then one day we over, overflow this thing and then we build our church and we have a bigger church and we just grow and then uh, hopefully maybe five or ten years down the road we're going to uh, go five or ten miles down the road and we're going to start another church. Is that what our vision is or do we have a vision beyond that? What is God's vision when it comes to Brotherhood commitment. And you know, as we think of all these things, we think of our busyness of life that we have here. Sometimes, and this is where I'm really going, sometimes I get a little bit envious. And I just have to wonder, what is the heart of God when it comes to these things? And I don't know, I maybe shared this with some brothers recently. I remember being part of our church fellowship years ago when the church that we were part of, which was Faith Mennonite Church back at Denver, started a little outreach church up in the mountains of Bradford, uh, Pennsylvania, and we moved about three families up there, and a number of weeks later, we moved a couple more families up there. Six families started. And you know, it was a, lo- it was a long, hard journey of church planning up there, what they did. But you know it is, and, and I'm not suggesting, you know, there were some things different that I probably wouldn't have been comfortable with up there necessarily, but not real far, extremely out of line with who we are and what we are. But today, they are impacting that community up there. Today they are impacting that community up there and you have to look at it and say, hey, God really did something. But you know, there was something happened when those families moved up there to Bradford, Pennsylvania. They were up there alone. They were up there alone. Outside was the world. Inside was the church. They were this nucleus of believers. And you know what? They were committed to one another. You know, all of us have in our hearts the desire for social interaction. And, you know, a local church that's way up there, you know how it is. Well, maybe I have this edge, something uh, something just isn't going the best in my fellowship. You know, it's just very easy here in Lancaster County to just kind of withdraw, to back away from that, and I can get what I need in my fellowship over here with my old group of friends, or maybe it's my immediate family over here. And, you know, it's very easy in the day and generation that we live in to just kind of withdraw from those things and uh and uh and it hinders our church life it hinders our church life and it 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 hinders that commitment that we have to one another uh we also experienced this uh past uh spring when we were up in north woods wisconsin with our friends that i talked about uh todd and kim miller you know they're up there i think there is a few maybe one other church somewhere in the local area but they're way up there in the north they're apart from churches. They're up there. They're themselves. And we went to a number of their church activities. They had a, a church school and they had a picnic day. And we went there and they were there. They are, they're committed to each other. They are, they are that close-knit fellowship. That's, that's what they have. We're here. We can, we can find all kinds of social interactions to have that need met that all of us have. And it can and sometimes cripples and hinders us to a little bit of a pulling away from local church life. And I think we need to, uh, I think we need to just, it does us good to consider that. How committed am I? How committed am I? I can tell I'm not going to get over everything. I don't want to keep it too long here because uh, I'll finish up maybe in another message. Uh, maybe I'll just have another, another point here just to look at a little bit along the line of uh, this whole idea of our body and local fellowship. 
You know, I believe one of the things that we, it's healthy, and here again, I'm not necessarily bringing these, some of the points that I have here up because there are just this, this huge need that's glaring at us. But I think it's good for us to be encouraged in these things. I think when I think of a healthy local church life, I think of a church that communicates. I think it's a church that is intimately connected, in fellowship, in communicate. And I believe we ought to learn to be good communicators. And I'd just like to stretch us into those kind of things. You know, in a given body of believers, you know, it's, 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 well, I'll just say it this way. It's the ministry most times that find out what offends people in a congregation. We eventually find out what offends people. And, you know, there's a sense in that that's what we're here for. We are called to shepherd this flock. We're called to help people along the way and those kind of things. But, you know, I'd just like to give us some encouragement in order to have that close-knit fellowship, to be a church that communicates, a church that excels in communicating, knowing the heart of our brothers, knowing, talk about our expectations, talk through things, and where things that frustrate us, you know, to face each other and deal with those kind of things. I'm going to give you an example of something that stands out to me. Uh, there's a farmer up in Higgins Valley, Pennsylvania, who uh, I have been doing with, with my livestock transportation, been doing uh, hauling out of there for quite a number of years. And the first time would have been way back, I don't know, five, six years ago maybe. And then there was quite some time I wasn't in there. And here about two years ago, I started going in there regularly again. And every time I went into this man, I could not figure it out, him and his boy. You don't know him, Ben and Brent. I'm sure not none of you know him here. They just had an edge. They did not like me. I could tell they did not like me. They tried to frustrate me. They would make me wait. They would do just various things that just, I just, I couldn't figure it out what is going on. And one day, the, the fellow that does my scheduling for me, I said, you know, I don't know what's going on up there. But they, those men, they don't like me. They just, I, I can tell they don't like me. And he said, yeah. He said, you're right. I found out they don't like you. He said, there is a reason why they don't like you. And then he told me what happened. And I remembered it. I don't know why I didn't think of it earlier. I actually thought they forgot it. That, that's what it was. I thought they forgot it. But I was in there many times years before and I had a different truck. And I figured they totally forgot who I was. And I went a, a little bit of a greater distance that day with a load of hogs and I had five dead hogs. I had five dead hogs, and it was because I got to the slaughterhouse, and I had to wait a while, and it was hot. And that was the worst I ever had, and I felt horrible. And I knew that the farmer wasn't really the owner. He was just the man that raised them. And I remember feeling really bad about that, but I also remember there was nothing I could do differently. And I actually kind of forgot about it, and I assumed this guy don't remember who I was. So anyway, I found out through somebody else does a schedule that this man is still really bothered today about what happened. Anyhow, the next time I went up, I was determined I was going to win this man's friendship. And I said, hey, you know... I, I found something out, and I don't remember how I got into the conversation, and I said, you know what? I said, that deal that happened that day, I felt so terribly bad about it. I said, I didn't like it. Uh, I said, I didn't know what else to do. I, I followed the schedule that I had, and I got there, and I, I just really couldn't do anything different. And we talked through it. We talked for a long time. And you know, today, him and I are the best of friends. I say the best of friends, you know. But we are. We get along real good. He, uh, he, uh, he'll, he'll call me from time to time, and we'll talk. You know, we just have a good friendship. What changed? We were able to communicate. We were able to communicate. And you know, I believe in church life, many times there's things that rub us the wrong way and offend. And we're just, we're just kind of, you know, it just happens in church life. We become afraid of each other. Some of you are smiling. You know all about what I mean. We become afraid of each other. 
You know, that's not the will of God. It's the will of God that we're this close-knit and we learn how to communicate. And I know not everybody is like the unique Brian Note that just by by everything, but some of you are a little bit more private people. But, you know, I believe it's healthy for us to learn to communicate, learn to talk through things. I believe that's a very, very important element of local church life that will help us in the days ahead. To be that church that gets together to exhort one another, encourage one another, to provoke one another, to love and good works. To be a fellowship that communicates. And as the example I gave, you know, molehills become mountains sometimes if we don't communicate. And I believe sometimes there are churches that break apart, fly apart, splinter apart, that could have been avoided when there were molehills if men would have talked. Men would be men. Men need to be men, be leaders, and be talkers. And be communicators and work through things. Well, we are, uh, the Lord willing, going up to Stony Ridge this afternoon. So I'm not going to follow through with the rest of my notes because I'll brush over it really fast. I have a number of other points that I would like to encourage us sometime along the way. And just practical things that I think will help and will enhance local church life. So I think I'm going to stop with that one right there. And try to wrap it up. Uh, I would like to just maybe uh, try to think how to draw it to a close. Just close on a positive note that these are things to go after. And you know, I think if I will put it in each one of your hearts this morning to learn to to learn the value and the blessing and the gift that we have in each other, not because of us being such wonderful people. Our sin is so horrifically big and bad. But it's what Christ did for us. It's what Christ did for us that makes the uniqueness that we can actually get together and have this. We are the ecclesia. We are the called out. We are all of that. But that doesn't just happen because we're part of this great big worldwide church. It happens and expresses itself and we find the encouragement and all those kind of things in local church life. And we are doing that. We are doing that. This doesn't come as a rebuke or some sort of a challenge because we're way down here somewhere. But I'd just like to encourage each of us in our hearts to, 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 to lift that thing up with the value of local church life and put it where it ought to be. Trust you can be encouraged with that. Let's uh, bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for you and for what you have done. Thank you, Father, for the privilege for us to be connected personally with the vine, with Christ. And thank you, Father, for the blood that was shed, Lord, so that we can be your redeemed children. And, Father, we realize in the day and age and generation that we live in, you have ordained it, you have decided it, it wasn't our idea, it is your idea that we as a congregation would go through all the groanings and even the painful experiences that we have to face in order to be this brotherhood that provoke one another to love and good works. Lord, to be that church that gets together to encourage each other in the Lord and so much the more as we see this day approaching. Father, I believe that you have a remedy for the people of God all the way through to the end of the world, whatever challenge you take the church through. But Father, we here at Oasis... Choose today, I trust, all of us to follow your prescribed remedy. 
And I pray, Father, you just bless this congregation. I pray for those here this morning that are struggling, that don't feel part, possibly because of not choosing to be in the vine, or for whatever the reason is. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, unite our hearts together as a fellowship and bless us. Father, we just uh, commit our lives to you and commit this fellowship to you. In Jesus' name, amen.